It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Joining us now on the program, cricket commentator Garth Galloway. Uh, Garth, good afternoon. Welcome. Sorry, apologies for lateness, but good afternoon. I'm here now. It's okay. We were just actually talking about being timed out in Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, and you have officially been timed out, Garth. Um. Well, I was timed out in a club game and, uh, years ago, and uh, so it's happened to me. Uh, as I said, I think I was speaking to what? Sam one day about that. What did you um, What did you do? What were you timed out for? I mean, you were timed out clearly, I, but what led to you being... I was playing for the wonderful university senior team, and we were playing in... Dunedin in the, com- in the club competition down there against Dunedin, a very fine club side. Uh, and they had a chap called Phil Morris who opened the bowling for Otago for a few years, good player, and Peter Hills who was an Otago player. And Warren Lees of course was their keeper. Uh, and on the first, in the first over, Phil Morris running in uh, fell over <laughs> and twisted his ankle. Uh, so he, he had to come off. Um, I then went in and faced Peter Hills who had a pretty good bouncer. He was a left armour and I decided foolishly not to wear a helmet. And I'd also decided that if he bounced me, I was going to hook him. And he bounced me, and he hit me in the head. So I came off uh, with what they thought was a broke. And then two balls later, Simon Richards, New Zealand under-19, an Otago player, came in and he'd been hit in the head by Hillsy as well. So three of us went to hospital uh, at 12.30. The game started at midday. <laughs> and Phil, with his bad leg, took us into hospital. Um, and by the time I got back, uh, our last wicket had fallen. So I raced to put my pads on and go out and bat again. And Warren Lee's appealed, and I was timed out for taking more than two minutes to get into the, to the crease. Mm, I, I, there you go. I, I was saying I would love to have seen the reaction from Australia if it had been the Australians who had been timed out in that game against Bangladesh, particularly with what we saw in the Ashes. And we know these oh, sticklers. Yeah. We yeah. know we're sticklers for the rule box. So it would have been interesting to see how the Aussies would have reacted. I've got a sneaking feeling. They wouldn't have been overly impressed, but they wouldn't have had a leg to stand on. Uh, Garth, um, someone... You'd be right. uh, Are we tomorrow going to be talking about any controversy? Is this going to be a game that's going to be won fairly? Are we going to see bad sportsmanship from either team? Are we going to have allegations of pitch doctoring or umpires being bored? Or is this just going to be the best team that wins it and we're going to celebrate the individual and collective performances of the winners? (laughs) Well, that's what I would prefer much hope will, will happen you know I mean it was an interesting thing around that pitch being changed and things wasn't it and you never I mean I just never know quite how much to read into these things Mark people get pretty excited about them and so on I thought um, the New Zealand camp handled it pretty well uh, you know they've been they've been very below the radar all, all the way through they don't buy into controversy and things and I think they've played the game in a really good spirit um, so yeah look look I hope that's that's the way that um that, that it transpires, that we just have a great final, and I hope it's a competitive final as well. Actually, while I think about that, uh, Mark, I was interested in Simon O'Donnell's criticism of the New Zealand team for being too nice when they went to assist Coley and so on, and I just thought, what an extraordinary criticism from yet another um, Australian. Yeah, you'd think they would have learnt. You would have just thought after Sandpaper Gate and a few other controversies that they would have just learnt, but it is just a part of their DNA, as I say, legally correct, but just so morally corrupt, the Australians. Uh, look, OK, so who do you think is going to win tonight and why? Uh, India. 
uh, just just because they're too strong. Uh, but but having said that, I do think Australia could win the game. Um, I mean, everybody I think really is picking India, except perhaps the Australians themselves. But uh, a, a lot's got to go right for Australia. I think you know the first thing they would need to do, I think, is to bat first and and get runs on the board and and try and put India under a bit of pressure. I just think that when you look at that Indian side. Uh, and you remember when they played Australia in the first round, uh, you know, India were in all sorts of trouble. Australia made 199, uh, you know, a really modest total. Uh, India replied that they were two for three, so three wickets down for two runs, and they, they made it through to 201 for four with nine overs to spare. So, you know, a, a really confidence-boosting start to the World Cup for them, and, and of course an excellent contribution from Coley, who has just been monumental. When, when you look at the side, uh, you know, and, and you look at this Indian team, and you look at Col- Coley, uh, 711 runs at 117. Rahul, 386 at 77. You have Ayer averaging 75. Shadeja, 55. Sharma and Gill in the 50s as well. It's just monumental run scoring machines. Um, what Australia need to do, they need to get Coley out cheaply. That, that might send you know, a little scare through that Indian mm. camp. But then when Australia bat mark, you, you then look at this extraordinary Indian bowling lineup with Shami Bumra, uh, Siraj, Kuldeep and Jadeja. They've been superb throughout the, the entire tournament. They've really only had to rely on five bowlers. And I just think they've got too much quality. And then when you look at the Australians, uh, you're seeing head averaging 38, Smith 37, Labashane 33. They haven't really seen enough from those players. And, and that's why I just think India probably, you know, they have the edge. But but if, if Smith and Labashain and people can turn up, you, you never know. I want to talk to you about the phenomenal run scoring that we're seeing now in one-day cricket. I mean, New Zealand score 403 runs or 402 runs against Pakistan and lose on the Duckworth-Lewis system. Uh, yeah. In the semi-final, Australia, uh, India against New Zealand almost scoring 400 again. Uh, have we got to bring the, this back a bit? I mean, what's the incentive to be a fast bowler? Is it all just about big hits and sixes and fours? Uh, I mean, the, there doesn't seem to be anything these days in the pitch to allow for the likes of the Hadleys and the Glenn McGraths to be successful. Has it gone too well, far? It, it, has it gone too far the way of the batsman? Well, I think, I mean, I've been saying that for a long time, Mark, that, that that's my feeling, and, and particularly around 2020 cricket, where, where it really is, you know, you watch the competition in India and sides are regularly scoring 10 runs and over 200 in their totals. I mean, there have been 46 matches uh, in this tournament, maybe now 47, there have been 25 totals of over 300, and some of those are well over 300. Uh, but, the, but the interesting thing about the fast bowling is, is if you look at the top 10 wicket takers in the tournament, you'll see that Shami has 23. Uh, Matashankar, a, a quick bowler from Sri Lanka, has 21. In, in the top 10, seven of them are fast bowlers in terms of wicket-taking, which I thought you know, is a really interesting statistic. Yeah, no, it is. It is in actually a surprising of, statistic, to be honest, because that's certainly not the perception you have. No, no, it's not. And, and, but then listen to this. Then you look at the economy rates, and, and you get quite a different picture. So again, Bumrah, who's got 18 wickets and is fifth, fifth for the most number of wickets, he's 3.98. I mean, that is just incredible in terms of economy rates. But if you look at the top 10 bowlers with the best economy rates, seven of them are spinners. <laughs> so seven, seven, the seven, uh, you know, seven out of 10 fast bowlers are the top wicket takers. Seven out of uh, 10 spinners are, okay. the, are the best economy So rates. is it about economy? Is it about wicket taking? It's about both. I think. I think it's about both, and um, and that's why I think this Indian side again 
if, if you look at their economy rates with their bowling, they put so much pressure on the batsmen. So, again, you know, you, you just know if you dry up a side a bit, then they're going to play more recklessly. And, um, you know, we saw it with South Africa in the semi-final, really getting put under, under pressure and, and Decock throwing his wicket away. Listen, listen to these, though. Shami is at five and over. Uh, Bumrah, 3.98. Jadeja, 4.25. Kuldeep 4.32. Those are just extraordinarily good averages. And, and Siraj is the worst of them at 5.6. And then you look at the Aussies, Stark and Cummins are going at over six runs and over, mm. and Zampa 5.47. So these, you know, these figures don't tell a lie after 10 games in the tournament. Um, you know, it, it, it's 10 games for, for each, of, each of these sides. And uh, so economy is, is, is certainly a part of it. One of the other things that, that interests me is that we haven't seen sides really taking the top off we saw it in the semi-final when the ball moved around a bit, and I thought Hazelwood and Stark were superb. But you know, if you think about this Indian side and, and, and the Aussies, they're not really losing a lot of wickets early on, and uh, you know that tends to, to, to tell you that the conditions are pretty good for batting, um, and the wickets tend to be coming a little bit later in the innings when sides are under a bit of pressure chasing. I just want to look back and reflect a little bit on New Zealand making the semi-finals sure. yet again, but losing four games along the way. Uh, I never really felt we were going to get up and beat India, and I didn't. There was a part of me that just didn't feel like it was right, having lost four games and then somehow making a World Cup final. Did our bowling let us down? Where did we Where did we come undone? We just weren't. We weren't the complete side. We did enough to get through, no. but we weren't a World Championship winning side. No, we weren't. And and if you look at um, if if you look at the players that I've just mentioned, and indeed some of those Australian players and some of the South Africans. Uh, I, th- I think, you know, they're, they're just better cricketing units. And I think New Zealand's place, uh, you know, probably coming, well, well, they're into the semi-final, so third or fourth or whatever. Uh, you know, I, I think really they, they are the fourth best side in this tournament. And I think, you, you, you know, you would look at India as being the best, whatever happens tonight. Australia second, South Africa third. And I think New Zealand rightly fit in fourth place. So, so they played, I think, to about where their ability is. Uh, in terms of the bowling, I think we are a little bit thin. I think the point you make is a fair one. And they really did miss Matt Henry, uh, who was a bowler who was capable of taking wickets at the top of the innings. You know, we didn't really see Bolt moving the ball around as much as we're used to. Ferguson was good against the lesser lights, but expensive against the top sides. Uh, Salvi, you know, going at 7.75 for, for, for the four matches that he played. Uh, you know, I, I just feel his time is probably coming to an end as a white ball bowler. And then, of course, the star of them was Santner, whose economy rate at 4.84, and he picked up 16 wickets, and I thought he bowled beautifully. But there's not much else there. You look at the, the way they bowled Phillips, I thought was quite clever. Um, he's useful in India. I'm not sure that he'd be quite as useful in some of the pitches over here. Uh, Ravindra is still, in my view, yet to prove himself as a top-class international spinner. Sodi, they had no confidence in. And Nisham went at 10.82 runs and over. So, you know, for me, the, the, the bowling was just a little bit thin over mm. there, Mark. And, and, and those are, you know, they need to get Henry back on the field. They'll need to get Jameson involved. Uh, and, and, and frankly, they need to start bringing through, through some younger yeah. which, which is uh, my Which is my next question, Garth, because we're just having this discussion in the first half now. Southie Bolt, we think their time's up. We're talking about their place in history with the likes of, um, you know, with the likes of, um, Hadley and Chatfield and Co. Yes, and you talk about Matt Henry, you talk about Ferguson, but Matt Henry's still thirty-two years of age. Where is the future? How does the future look at domestic first-class level? 
Not for me, um, you know, when when you look at the players that they tend to bring in, and we think back to last season, uh, Tickner, uh, Kugelain, and the likes. I, I I don't feel that they are really um, top class international cricketers. Uh, I think they ever will be. They're probably going to play reasonably well over here in our conditions, uh, when the ball might move around just a little bit, and that favours them. And they'll always, I think, you know, be able to foot it against the lesser sides. But the way that I was, you know. You like to really compare players and see how they step up against sides like uh, South Africa, England, India, uh, you know, Australia and so on. And, and that's where the statistics that really interest me. So, um, you know, from, uh, there, there, there will be a wave of other players playing in that first class uh, season for New Zealand. There'll be younger players who are coming through, I'm sure. And I, I think they really do have to start to to look to bring them in. Um you know, we have series against Bangladesh, and of course they've already picked the squads for that. But but when we play against teams like that and, and, and Pakistan and some of the lesser teams at the moment over here, I'd, I'd just love to see New Zealand picking some players to blood them and give them some experience. And and, and the risk of that, of course, is that you then have to... You, you may lose games. Well, so what? It doesn't matter because uh, you've then got, for example, South Africa and Australia coming over here, Mark, uh, you know, they have to be able to blood players and give them a go. And one of my criticisms of this unit has been um, over a long period of time, I don't think, uh, you know, even against sides like Bangladesh and so on at home, I don't think they've been taking enough risks and really wanted to, to get more players into the team. Yeah, and I think New Zealand cricket, we don't have the expectation that we have on the All Blacks. I mean, people don't want to see the All Blacks experimenting. They just want to see the All Blacks winning every game. But I think cricket, we can. We've probably got a little bit more room to experiment, as you said. Look, just, just a text coming in, and I'll get you to answer it, and it's the final question. Would Brendan McCullum have got more out of this Black Caps team than Kane Williamson? And what have you made of Williamson's captaincy? Um. Well, I mean, I think he would have, you know, I mean, it's a, it, it's quite a hard question, isn't it? Because, I mean, as a, and I'm not sure if the text is talking um, about him playing or, or, or coaching. No, cap, um, captaining the side. I, yeah. Oh, oh look, he, he would have taken more risks. There's no question about that. And certainly when they played against South Africa, I'd be absolutely certain that he wouldn't have given South Africa first use of the pitch with the bat, <laughs> you know, which was just crazy stuff by New Zealand. Um yeah, no. Look, look. Look. I think he he was a, a far more inspiring and better captain than than Kane. But I think, um, you know, I, I'm an enormous admirer of, of Kane Williamson. I think when you look at his, the injuries that he's had, uh, bringing both one in the tournament and one before it, you know, his performance I thought was was very good indeed. Um, you know, they're a they're a modest lot. They I, I do think that he tends to somewhere in there with Gary Stead and with, with Williamson, they do tend to draw the best out of players. You know, they are they are performing well as a unit and they're a happy side and they seem to, 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 to play to their abilities. I, I just think, you know, a person like McCullum, uh, you know, he would take more risks uh, with a chance to win. That's That was what it was all about for him, was, you know, A, performing in the right spirit of the game, but B, bringing the best, taking some chances and being prepared to lose to win. And I've, I've always felt that that's something that... Yeah. Um, um, and as much as he hates it, it's now in the dictionary. It's called baseball. Yeah, no, he won't like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> but there's not much he can do about it. No. Hey, look, Garth, lovely to have you on the programme. Some great insight as always. Thank you. Good to talk. Sorry for being late. No, it's yeah. all right. That's the second time out you've had in your career, my good man. We're not quite as ruthless as Thank Warren you. Lee's, though.